0: Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust.
1: Hi, is this the Bridgeport police substation? Uh, Yes and no. Well um I want to report a robbery. For that you
0: need the Finch substation. This is the Foster substation. The Finch substation is across the street.
1: Is it that one out there?
0: No, that's the Gannam substation.
1: How can there be all these substations in one place all named after different candidates?
0: Okay. How familiar are you with multiverse theory? I uh, I'm sorry. What what's that? Multiverse theory. It's the hypothetical set of infinite or finite possible universes that together comprise everything that exists. The entirety of space Time, matter, and energy, as well as the physical laws and constants that describe them. But
1: how could there be more than one universe?
0: There are different theories. Personally, I favor the work of cosmetologist Max Tegmark, which begins with the notion of Hubble volume. This refers to... Okay, I'm
1: kind of in a hurry. Um, Is there a faster way you can explain this?
0: Sure, lady. This is Bridgeport. It's the most crazy... city on the eastern seaboard.
1: Oh, why didn't you say so?
0: It's public radio. I figure maybe people want to hear some kind of Patrick Skehill Brian Green scientific.
1: Well, let's move on to an interview with incumbent mayor Bill Finch. And now he was PT Barnum's last exhibit. Colin McEnroe.
2: It's a little known fact about me. So, yes, we are uh, finishing up uh, our interview of uh, our interviews of Bridgeport mayoral candidates. We're finishing it up with the guy who holds the job right now, wants the job again. That's Bill Finch. Uh, and so, first of all, welcome to the New Haven Studios of WNPR.
3: And let me just say, in the words of my uh, recently deceased father, I resemble those remarks.
2: <laughs> all right. Uh, this is not, by the way, a substation. So, uh, for uh, let's unless you, unless you say it is. Um, all right. So um, we're going to start, I think, maybe with uh, the way that we've started with some of the other uh, interviews, just talking about you and your relationship with the city, what you want for the city, what, where you think the city has come so far. But Before we even get to you and your campaign, <clears throat> imagine that you're just talking to me and I'm thinking about, I don't know, maybe I'm going to move someplace else. I'm going to leave Hartford and maybe I'll move to New Haven. Maybe I'll move to Bridgeport. Why Why would I move to Bridgeport? Uh, pitch Bridgeport to me as a good place for a person like me to live.
3: Well, I love the city of Bridgeport. I, I live there nearly all my life. And there is no city in the United States that does as much as the city of Bridgeport does for its size. Mm-hmm. We're one of the smallest cities in the country. We're 16 square miles of land we have an airport, we have a 36-hole golf course, we have a ferry service, we have 32 Amtrak stops a day, we have Metro North service, we have great highway access, we have a deep water port, we have stunning parks, we have the most beautiful beach in the state, maybe the most beautiful beach in New England other than Cape Cod. We have incredible resources in our people. We have a great workforce. We have the most diverse city, 50 or 60 languages spoken at Central High School. So when I look at what we do and what we provide for the region, Region. Incredible teaching hospitals, one with Quinnipiac University, one with Yale University. Incredible assets. Uh, when I always hear us as, as your entry point, uh, entry little skit uh, made fun of us, um, I, I sometimes think I'm living in a different place because the place I live in is one of the most beautiful, most hospitable, most well-run in the last eight years uh, cities anywhere. If and, you do say so yourself. Yeah, well, I can prove it. Uh, you know, I've got an eight-year track record to prove it, and a, a and a bunch of people all working in the same direction for the first time in in recent memory. You know, we're building new schools uh, at the rate that more than half of our kids will be in new school buildings, and. um you know, we built, we've built two new parks. Who ever heard of building new parks when you only have 16 square miles of land? What, what so much of the problems of Bridgeport, New Haven, and Hartford are rooted in, Colin, and you've talked about this before, is the over-reliance on the property tax. Mm-hmm. There's only so much that a Mayor Sagara uh, or a Mayor Harp or a Mayor Finch can do within the limits that we're given. It's an unconstitutional system. We've sued the state now four times on uh, making our schools uh, constitutional and fair for everybody. And Unfortunately, Connecticut is of the suburbs, by the suburbs, and for the suburbs. And you know, cities can go pound sand. Although it is changing, and you know, we can talk about that. Well,
2: how is it changing?
3: Well, under Marty Looney's direction, um, we're sitting here in his home hometown, uh, and Bob Duff uh, in the Senate, and Brendan Sharkey and uh, Joe Aricewitz. The first time in our history, we've talked about all the controversies at the Capitol. Very few people are talking about the fact that for the first time, sales tax revenue is being shared with cities, and property taxes on cars are being leveled off around the state so that you don't have two Connecticuts, at least in terms of car taxes. So we're making progress. We have a long way to go because Connecticut is an an incredibly uh, poorly run state in terms of how we organize our government. You know, we, we leave the regional services to the poorest people you pay extra on your taxes for a home in Bridgeport because you serve the region. If Bridgeport, think about this. The median sized American city of cities over 100,000 is 120 square miles. I'm 16 square miles. My city's 16 square miles. New Haven's 17, Hartford's 18. If I was just the median size, just the average size American city, I'd be the richest city per capita with New Haven or Hartford as the second richest. Instead, Hartford's always vying for one of the 10 poorest so Connecticut is screwed up in the way it organizes its government. It it's, it pits towns against cities, and it's really unfortunate. But within that context, and I think that's somewhat what leads, you know, NPR to run a piece like you just did, where unfairly I think you made fun of a city where um, that's not the major issue uh, of where substations are, you know. We opened up an official substation of the Bridgeport Police Department and the Housing Authority, uh, and a candidate who still thinks he's mayor despite being a disgraced thief, uh, you know, is is, uh, pretending to be mayor and setting up offices. Imagine if you went into his precinct Mm -hmm. and some campaign worker was answering the phone and you expected to get help. I mean, it's kind of a miscarriage of of justice to do something like that. But, you know, people are safer in Bridgeport than ever before. Our, Our crime rate is... At a 44-year at a low, it's—and uh, we, we haven't had this kind of progress in public safety in a long time. Although some
2: of the—I mean, I was going to ask you, if I moved to Bridgeport, would I be safe? So some of the news has kind of militated against that impression, right? I mean, you've had some shootings in, in Bridgeport. It's—for Connecticut cities this year, even though urban crime nationally is down, crime in Connecticut is down, Connecticut cities have had kind of a, a tough year, and you've had, to some degree, a tough year in Bridgeport with shootings,
3: right? Anytime somebody gets shot— usually with illegal weapons. It's a big cause of concern for me and for our police chief, Gaudette, and the whole police department. And we marshal resources. You know, we have police on Segways. We have them on bicycles, electric bicycles, squad cars, horseback. We have cops deployed all over the place. And yet, how can a small city um, fight against the illegal weapons that our government in Washington allows to pour into cities? It's, it's, it's a very difficult situation. Um, but we're making progress, and there is a little uptick in shootings in all American cities. I, I was just at the mayor's conference in San Francisco, and the buzz of the room was we're all seeing an uptick in shootings. Uh, we do need help from the federal government. We need to close the loopholes on gun show sales. We need to close some of the loopholes on the waiting period, especially for victims of domestic violence, trying to you know, keep their former spouse from getting a weapon uh, while the emotions are the rawest. So I, I really believe that we're, we're making good progress. And in terms of moving to Bridgeport, I think, you know, if you, wanna, you want an interesting life, um, you'll always want to live in a city. If you want a rather humdrum life where you put a deck out the back of your house and you don't know your neighbors, you don't want to live in a city. Because we, we have front porches. Suburbs have back decks.
2: Um, what do you think the, uh, uh, police union endorsed again? Uh, and what do they think they're going to get from him that they don't get from you?
3: Well, before I answer that question, let me just go back to the previous question. Cause one of the things NPR has covered is, a lot is, is climate change. And I would love to talk to you at some point about how cities are really the solution for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that you're an urbanist and maybe we could talk about that. What the police department would get under Joe Gim, I don't think is, is, is the issue really. It's, um, that we have a great police department. I've worked well with the chief and the higher-ups. Um, we just had a, a, a tough negotiation, and every time you do that, uh, you bruise a few egos. And I think that's all that that is. Um, every union, uh, including Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, I think has endorsed me. I'm not, I'm not worried about losing one union. Um, I don't think the police union has ever endorsed a winner in the mayor's race uh, they're usually the union is usually disgruntled about something in their contract, but i don 't let that get to us because and i don 't think they do either because they put their lives on the line every day. they go out there, they go into dangerous situations, very difficult job to do um, they 're getting better every day on community policing uh, colin we 're putting so much invested in technology we 're going to have two thousand cameras pointed to areas of of crime uh, in Bridgeport more than any city other than I think New York City. We're creating a system called Be Safe, where we have a a giant room in the Margaret Morton Government Center where, through predictive uh, and and artificial intelligence, you can actually follow a a victim or a culprit through the city based on how you program in the description of the candidate. So, for example, red hat, green shoes, they'll follow, the cameras will follow that person until the police can intervene and keep them safe. So we're using a lot of technology, um, and, uh, you know, the lifestyle in Bridgeport is a good lifestyle, getting back to your first question, uh, why you'd want to live there. It's right. a good lifestyle.
2: Just to correct one impression, uh, North Pole is actually a right-to-work state. Santa Claus actually <laughs> broke the Elf Union back in the 1980s with a lot of help from the Reagan administration. I uh, just want to be clear about that. Okay, so um, you want to talk about green, and I want to talk and about green, Elf too. the Elf Union endorsed me, too. Well, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, the, um, <laughs> you want to talk about green, I want to talk about green, too. So let's talk about, I mean, one of my favorite things about Bridgeport you're lucky enough to have a great urban visionary, Jeff Lightman, uh, wanting to work on uh, something like the the, the eco technology park. So, to me, that is something that you can point to with a certain amount of pride. I don't know how, how many people understand how much is being done up there, but I'll, I'll let you uh, brag about it.
3: Well, look, uh, we had our Jeff and I uh, started the Big Green 2020 Vision, and he was a, a huge supporter in this whole process and has done a great job. We first worked together on Toby Moffat's campaign in. Uh, 1980, I think it was. And I've been his friend ever since. And surprisingly, he stayed my friend. I don't know how he did that. But so. Uh, but it helps to be mayor. Yeah. 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 It helps to also have this green vision that we've collectively developed. It's really a new ethic. And it, it emanates from two big things we found out. Number one was that the city of Bridgeport. The government only produces 4% of the greenhouse gases within the boundaries of Bridgeport. That argues to the point that you have to have a partnership with business and the community in order to lower your greenhouse gas emissions and fight climate change, which also thankfully creates a lot of jobs. The other thing we found out was that the suburban lifestyle in Connecticut, according to the University of, uh, of California at Berkeley, uh, creates about twenty tons of greenhouse gases per person. It's amazing. Things if you hold your cup your hands together, you can't feel the weight of the gas in your hands. But a suburbanite in Connecticut makes about twenty tons per person a year. The good news is that urban dwellings urban dwellers create about seven, about one third there's no policy that's going to come out of Paris at the at the climate conference. There's no policy that's going to come out of any capital, anywhere, any state government or federal government, where you're going to be able to reduce greenhouse gases by two-thirds. Urbanization, densification, densely settled areas, by their very nature, shorter commutes to work, use of mass transit, adjoining walls and ceilings, smaller domiciles, fewer computers, fewer cars, fewer lawns to water, fewer pesticides sprayed, all of those things reduce the greenhouse gas emissions. Cities are the solution to climate change. They are the single biggest solution, not the giant sprawling out-of-control cities that you see in Africa and India and China, but well-planned uh, cities sort of along the lines of the theories of concentric rings where the density is in the middle. And that's where Bridgeport is, right? supporting the region. We're, we're the engine that's reducing greenhouse gases. That's what we're doing. So we focused on that, and it's meant jobs, Colin. We've got North America's largest fuel cell. What's a fuel cell? It creates enough electricity for 15,000 homes. It's a small power plant with hardly any pollution. We've got...
2: Although, to be fair, it does use natural gas to get there, right? It does.
3: And, you know, we consider natural gas fuel cells a Class 1 renewable for a strategic reason. It creates a lot of jobs in Connecticut, and it's going to bridge the gap with fuel cells uh, to get to the hydrogen economy because eventually fuel cells will be run on water, Hydrolyzed water with taking the hydrogen, and that technology is probably twenty or thirty years away. But we got to get there, <clears throat> so I do think we need to get there on things like natural gas. But considering the alternative of creating electricity um, with coal or oil, this is far far cleaner and more efficient. Um, so if you add the two small, the smaller fuel cell and the large fuel cell that we're building, plus now we're covering our landfill with nine thousand solar panels, twenty thousand of our homes in Bridgeport will be basically off the pollution grid, creating electricity with little or no pollution. No city our size can say that. That's why we're changing the reputation of the city. And <clears throat> As we change the reputation of the city, we get more investors in. We get more investors in, we get more jobs, we get more housing, we get more opportunity.
2: You know you talked about um, the the compactness of a city and the concentric quality of a city. Some might argue that one of the signature developments of your administration, though it started before you, steel Point still awaiting completion, is the opposite of that that it 's sticking out away from the center of the city that it 's almost the kind of suburban development that you would deplore. Because it, it, it's kind of a tail wagging off from the dog of Bridgeport with T-Mobile and Chipotle and Starbucks and stuff like that, stuff that I could also get in the suburbs. I'd rather come into the city and have some genuine you know, uh, indigenous uh, Bridgeport experience. So, so why is Steel Point a good idea?
3: Steel Point is, um, is, a, is a good idea because uh, the land was vacant. The promises were broken for 20 years. When I got elected, it was in court. I had to straighten it all out, I had to refinance it. Um, and also one of the small things, it sounds like a small thing, but it actually had a big impact, was previous administrations had given it all to one developer. We gave it to the one developer, but we cut it into four phases. You couldn't get phase two unless you completed phase one. Now, phase one with Bass Pro is a strategic decision. Uh, It will bring in four to five million people a year, estimated, into the city of Bridgeport. So all those indigenous experiences you talked about, which are a block away on East Main Street, are going to have more customers. You're going to bring people into Bridgeport. You know, we have had a hard time bringing people into Bridgeport because of the stereotype, the image, the corruption. Uh, and, and, And so... Uh, Bass Pro is sort of a, uh, it's it's a uh, it's a leader in terms of bringing people into the city. It's all guns, though, right? You don't like guns. I have uh, fought all my life against illegal guns. Uh, mm-hmm. I support the Second Amendment and people's rights to bear arms. I believe hunting is natural. I think it's a good thing to be able to uh, be out in the outdoors and experience the outdoors, target practice. Legitimate ownership of guns is protected by the Constitution of the United States. Uh, and as far as I know, Bass Pro sells guns legally and um, we would urge them to keep abiding by the law.
2: It, one might argue that you're obviously very, very uh, keenly aware of climate change, concerned about it, um, that maybe development in Bridgeport shouldn't stick too, up, too far out into the water.
3: Well, listen, let me tell you what we're getting with Steel Point. First off, it's only about a block and a half from downtown, so the way I've always envisioned this, this is an addition to our downtown. Our downtown is probably one-fifth the size of New Haven's and a third the size of uh, Hartford's. So we have a very small downtown. It needs to get bigger. Uh, this land along the water, this peninsula, will, at my direction, at my administration's direction, have a 55-foot-wide park be- between all the development and the water. So right at the water's edge, there will be a 55, uh, 50-foot-wide park that's open every day of the year, all day long. We have had a city, Colin, that's all over the waterfront, and you couldn't get to it. Mm-hmm. other than Seaside Park and St. Mary's. So now I've reopened Pleasure Beach, a barrier island, a gem, a natural gem, open again to the public. We've got Steel Point open. We built Knowlton Street Park all along the Pequannock River. We're reopening our waterfront, and we're seeing that that's bringing in more investment. That's bringing in more young people that want to live in a city where they can walk to an arena. They can walk to a ballpark. They can walk to uh, the waterfront. And as a, those are other advantages I haven't mentioned about Bridgeport, the beautiful arena with the Sound Tigers and Fairfield U and and the Bluefish in their own stadium.
2: Oh, by the way, if you want to call in uh, with a question or a comment, 203-776-9677. That's 203-776-WNPR. Given all that, given the waterfront... say you, that
3: again. My mom's a little hard to hear. 203 right, 203-776-Mrs. <laughs> Finch,
2: WNPR. If
3: she calls in, we're all in trouble. All right.
2: um, <laughs> Uh, given all that, is Bridgeport ready for the next Sandy? I mean, you know, if, if you're... Not yet. Yeah.
3: No, definitely not yet. But because of the great relationship that I've developed with the governor and the president, the president saw fit to single Bridgeport out. We're the only New England city that was in the Rebuild by Design competition. We were awarded one of the second place prizes. We were proud to do that. We didn't win the big one. Manhattan won that. And in and, and fairness, they were damaged much more than we were. But the being on the water has this this real risk. It's beautiful, and it helps your economy, but it has a big risk. Uh, So after Sandy, we were given a $10 million grant through this competition to work with Yale, Arcadis Engineering, uh, and um, David Wagner from New Orleans, who had experience with the Katrina disaster. And we've put together a great plan. It will create a berm that will protect the harbor, the power plants, the university. It'll protect the um, eco-technology park and the trashed energy plant, all of these, and Seaside Village, which are all very risky properties in terms of flooding. We've seen with each subsequent storm, Colin, the flooding gets worse. The water comes in further. The damage from property gets greater. So um, we're on our way. These are massive uh, projects. We also envision a floodgate across Black Rock Harbor which would have the added advantage of connecting Seaside Park and St. Mary's all along the coast. Very similar to to Holland. Uh, Hank Ovinck from uh, from Holland was the guy who uh, led um, uh, the uh, HUD, the, the Sean Donovan-led effort after Sandy to make cities resilient. And the presidents really should be commended for that.
2: All right. You know what? I think we're going to grab a break here. Uh, we're getting to know Mayor Bill Finch. We'll get to know him uh, better when we come back. Uh, again, the number eight six zero seven seven six. Nine, six, seven, seven. And we're back. We're talking movies here uh, off the air. Uh, I'm with Mayor Bill Finch of Bridgeport. So um, actually, let's get to know you a little bit as a person. Um, I uh, have a, a son who's adopted. You're an adopted son, right? Yes, I am. How do you think that uh, is? I mean, obviously, that shaped your life in a certain <laughs> way. How would you describe the the impact that's had on you as a person and as a public official?
3: You know, I didn't pay too much attention to it um, as a little little guy. Um I just wanted to be like everybody else, so I didn't really want to be known as adopted. I think you know everybody wants to fit in. Uh, when I had I have four boys, uh, and when I had them, and I would take them for their physicals, I was angry that I couldn't tell the the doctor what their background was, their medical mm-hmm. background. Uh, it's a very Victorian, uh, backward kind of way to deny adopted people their identity. So I, I'm a little resentful that the government still denies me my identity. Um, legally. Uh, it's sort of you're thrown into a, uh, a witness protection program that you never asked for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. it's, it, it's wrong. It should stop. It, it didn't exist until um, there were a lot of illegitimate kids like myself born after World War II, and then the states panicked and started making it illegal and telling the birth mothers, no one will ever find you. Don't worry about it. Uh, you'll never be discovered. You can have this baby. The irony is that when I was in the Senate, Colin, most of the women who came to me were women who put their kid up for adoption and have no way to find them. So if the child isn't seeking them out, they have nowhere to start because the baby was whisked away from them and they never knew anything about what happened to them. And that's not fair to them either. So it's natural to know who your birth parents are. It's natural to know your biological history. And when you are deprived of that, it does make you a little angry. Um, So, um, you know, I fought against the law. I got it passed once, and unfortunately, Governor Rell vetoed it. Um, Recently, Jason Alexander got it passed for those born after 1983. Ironically, none of this would impact me because I was born in New York City, and I'm not a legislator or a resident of New York, so I can't really do much about that. Um, But for all those whose people who are out there listening who were adopted, don't give up. We're going to get these laws changed, and uh, you'll get to know uh, who you are and where you came from.
2: Do you think it has um, anything to do with what drives you? Okay, so the former uh, Connecticut politician, Bill Curry, likes to say that uh, nobody goes into uh, politics unless they're trying to address some massive psychic deficit. And and the irony <laughs> or is... Or many. Or many. Know, many, many psych- yeah. and, <laughs> he goes, and he says the irony of it, that is it's the worst place to go to try to address <laughs> a psychic deficit. You'll just be pounded away at in various ways that will do anything but uh, heal whatever your wound is. And I'm not suggesting that being adopted is, is being a wound in, in any sense, but do you think it has something to do with... For some people it is. For some people it is. Yeah. Do you think it's got anything to do with the drive that you have for either success or recognition or the kind of thing that puts somebody out into the political sphere?
3: Uh, You know, it might. I I never really thought of that. Um, Certainly everybody is driven by different things. I I always was driven by... my thoughts toward John Kennedy as a little Catholic boy growing up. I had great mom and dad. They took us to church every Sunday, whether we liked it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, we had dinner together every night. My dad worked in a shop. My mom was a seamstress. We had a pretty normal, argumentative upbringing, yeah, <laughs> uh, as most Irish Catholic <laughs> families did. You know, uh, dad had one beer at dinner, uh, and that was it. That was that was the routine. You know, um, do you remember how he used to put? Did your dad used to put a little salt in the beer to make it foam up?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I I've got my own psychic yeah. deficits and they don't involve salt and in beer. <laughs> so uh,
3: So um you know, I remember um my grandmother had three pictures in her little cold water four room flat that we visited all the time and uh it was Ted Williams, John Kennedy, and Jesus Christ. Mm. And I thought as a little Catholic boy, that was the Father, the Son, and the right. Holy Ghost. So I always follow John Kennedy, and I believe that you need to sacrifice for the good of your community and your country, and you should love your country and your city. And um, don't ask what the government's going to do for you. Ask what you're going to do for the government and your community. So that's sort of what's driven me. And um, I always
2: wait for your pitch. That would be the Ted Williams lesson, right? Yeah. I mean, be selective at the Watch plate. Watch the seams on the ball yeah. if you got good enough right. eyes. Right. Be selective at the plate. This yeah. is one thing we do have in common. My grandmother actually had a votive statuary of Ted Kennedy uh, – of Ted Williams, excuse me, in her – and she didn't have anything else. I mean, she didn't, Kennedy, Jesus Christ, forget about no, that stuff. just Ted Williams. Ted Williams is pretty much all it took oh, yeah. to keep us from slipping into barbarism. <laughs> um, so uh, so, so we, we can bond over the psychic
3: imbalance or whatever yeah. it was, yeah.
2: So um, you were telling me before we went on the air that... How is Bill Curry, by the way? Bill Curry is uh, f- as fine as can be expected under the circumstances. <laughs> um, the I don't even know what that means. Um, the uh, You were telling me before the show that uh, you and your wife have a date night that even during the heat of a campaign... Got to uh, keep it. Yeah?
3: Yeah. Uh, I, I'm pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Not perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, that probably goes back to being adopted. I don't know, some attachment issues or something. I don't know. But... Mm-hmm. but uh, no, I think it's very important. You know, one of the things about public service, and, and I'm not complaining because I love it and I chose this as a career. I I love to, to be in politics and government, but it's very hard on your children and your spouses. And uh, I'm sure it's similar for a lot of other careers like radio personalities and whatnot. But, um, you know, we work very hard. We work long hours, and, and our families pay more of a price than we ever will. So uh, the least I could do is try to stick to that. So what's the date night? What do you do? Usually in movies, yeah. we love going to the movies. Go to the diner for rice pudding or something afterwards. Real, real highbrow He's stuff.
2: Going nuts in Bridgeport. <laughs> right. no. party. Hardies. I didn't realize you had rice pudding. I'm definitely <laughs> moving there now. Oh, I mean,
3: yeah. we have this diner called the '50s Diner. Bread pudding, rice pudding, and if you're really hungry, uh, they make like the best of everything. Okay. It's amazing. I don't.
2: So you saw Trainwreck. Yeah.
3: I saw Trainwreck, and uh, really, as you said, uh, I think one of the highlights of the movie was Shaq. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got a picture here. You mean LeBron? Yeah, I'm sorry. Of course, LeBron, you got a picture here. We're going to get a call from LeBron now. Oh, I know. I know. Terrible, terrible. And that, and I don't want to put Shaq in the same category as the two I'm going to talk about. You've got this Wings poster here of Michael Jordan, not taking anything away from him. He was the second best player of all time. That's,
2: by the way, just the way Faith Middleton decorates the studio. It's like a sports bar, basically. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead.
3: But LeBron is, oh, he's the most amazing basketball player I've ever seen I'm a huge admirer and uh sorry all you Michael fans out there I I think he's great I think he's second best and that's from a Celtics fan mm-hmm. right which well cuz we have nothing to cheer about you know
2: do you think being the mayor for uh, eight years has changed you do you think i mean and i guess i'm really asking has it coarsened you or toughened you i mean in order to pre- prevail over an administration to preside over an administration uh in a city that's got a lot of people who are interested in power uh and a lot of people a lot of just issues that have to be fought out and, and developments i mean have you become a tougher person as a result of that
3: no, I, I think it does the opposite. I think it makes you more sensitive to the conditions of others because you need to build a consensus and move people forward. We're just talking about movies, Colin. You remember the movie Lincoln? Mm-hmm. As a polit- I don't know a politician that didn't just cheer that movie. Here was one of the greatest men who ever walked the earth, who freed the slaves, who kept our union together, and he hired political operatives to go in and fix the vote mm-hmm. <laughs> on the 13th Amendment so that African-American people... Wouldn't be slaves. You know, I mean, abolish slavery. I mean, think about this. You know, we always think politics is bad. I, I was thinking about the uh, the Rocky movie recently. You know, you want an omelet, you got to break a couple eggs. Not legs, eggs. Right. <laughs> you know, to get a piece of... Supposedly leg-
2: Stalin said that, but that's, you know. But oh. actually, he didn't. I mean, actually, that's usually attributed to him more than Rocky.
3: Well, we have P.T. Barnum saying a sucker was born every minute. He didn't right. say that that's either. Right. But One of his critics said that about right, him. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and our former mayor, Jasper Levy, said about the snow, God will put it there. God put it there. God will take it away. It was actually his director of public works who is not well-known. So anyway, we we cleared all those up.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we uh, got through all this. Um, we do have a call from Jessica. Is your mother's name Jessica? No, Marge. No, okay. No, it's not your mother then. Yeah,
3: uh, Jessica's
2: on the line right now. Hi, Jessica. You're on the air.
3: Hi. Hi, Jessica. Fire Hi. away.
4: Go ahead. Uh, so I just wanted to ask uh, Mayor Bill Finch, what were his future plans for education in Bridgeport?
3: Well, you know, um, we've made some progress. We have a new superintendent of schools, uh, Fran Rabinowitz. She's doing a terrific job. Uh, I want to build uh, more new schools. You know, when we're done with my first phase, more than half of our kids will be in new schools. We built the first new high school in 50 years. It's a STEM high school. Um, I want to continue to expand our after-school program, which has the impact of extending the school day right? For at least 3,000 kids. We've actually, Colin, you'd be interested to know, contracted with three faith-based providers to provide more uh, after-school programs in church basements, uh, which was uh, a good thing for kids to go to a wholesome atmosphere and stay off the streets. And so we're also going to um, be the first city in Connecticut that's going to reach nearly 100 percent or 99.5 percent of fourth graders in preschool. So we're going to have all our fourth graders eligible in preschool. I'll be the first city to say that, and that should happen within the next 10 months or so. Uh, we're at about 90% right now. Um, so we're going to continue to expand our after-school programs. We're going to continue to build new schools so that our kids are in good learning environments that they deserve, that tr- prepare them for the jobs of the 21st century. And then we're also going to uh, to make sure that uh, we ex- expand preschool for all fourth all four-year-olds to be in preschool.
2: No, this is we're on the subject of schools. Okay, so if I if I walk around uh, Bridgeport and I mention uh, Finch to people, uh, one thing that either people, people are going to like you about or not like you about is the attempted at st- state takeover of the school system. Uh, as you look back on that, I mean, that was something you supported. How does it look in the rearview mirror?
3: I think it was the right thing to do, and I don't mean to sound stubborn. I think it gave us over a year of non-political people running the schools. Anyone who looks at the track record of the state-appointed school board is going to see stability, not the terrible acrimony. I have four boys. This year we'll have 38 years collectively among the four boys in public schools in Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sick and tired of people playing politics with my children's education. They were wrong to do that. They were putting themselves and their own political gain above our kids. The stability the school suffered. Let me just tell you a couple of things we were able to do. We were able to merge the two public works departments. There were two public works departments. The left hand didn't talk to the right hand. There's now one public works department for the city that runs the schools and all the school buildings. We saved money. The buildings are cleaner. The schools don't have to worry about cleaning bathrooms. They shouldn't have to. The teachers should know that it's going to be clean and everything's going to be orderly and the smart boards are going to work. We did that. We merged. There were two police departments. There was a school police department and a city police department. In fact, the school police department super got paid twice what the big police chief got paid.
2: But why did you do take over to do that? I mean, you're the mayor. You do because that,
3: right? nothing was going through with the political acrimony. Everything was a fight. Everything was throwing bombs and complete misrepresentation of, of of the facts. There was no sanity prevailing at all. And I don't regret having sanity prevail for at least a couple of years, a year, year and a half, because now 82% of the, of the principals that were surveyed are so happy now that we have one security force. We, our our in school suspensions have gone way down, and our in school arrests have gone way down, and our dropout rate has gone down. And why did our, why did, why, the police were showing up at a school called by school security, a different police department they don't communicate with, and saying, arrest this kid, he's breaking the law. So we were arresting kids in school. We don't want to arrest kids in school. You know, this is for a fight in school. There were always fights in school but we had this astronomical in-school arrest. Since we've merged the departments and we've got a community-based, a community policing model uh, that's in the school system, in-school arrests are almost unheard of. High school dropout rate has gone down and in-school suspensions has gone down. So, and out-of-school suspensions as well. So we're very proud of the things we did. There are various special interests that manipulate the school board and cause acrimony, and these are not people who, like me, are parents of public school kids. And now we've been able to build a a calmer environment under Fran Rabinowitz. In fact, there's people that I didn't support that are on the school board that we have a great working relationship now because we've calmed the waters, we've put all that in our rearview mirror, as you said, and we've got a great working relationship, and we've got some successes
2: Although the other thing that you're now associated with educationally is charter schools, right? You got four, uh, including the one you got a Steve Perry charter school coming in there. That's a lot. It's more than most cities have. So some people would say, well, that's a different kind of special interest, right? That's that's the privatizing and corporatizing of American public education. Um, what's your response to that? Why 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 the heavy reliance on charter schools? Assuming that you would grant the term heavy reliance.
3: Um, Well, let's say I would put the argument a lot differently. Rich people get to send their kids to any school they want. Poor people don't. Uh, Why can't poor people have a choice of what school they send their kid to?
2: Well, the other way to look at that is they're still going to be poor, right? I mean, if you send— Not if they
3: get a good education. Right. The the families are going to— Poor kids in Connecticut. Connecticut get a crap education because their parents live in a home that isn't worth that much and our school has an unconstitutionally funded form of of school funding.
2: So the public school advocates would say, well look as you build up the charter school system you're not you're implicitly not building up the public schools. What poor people need are good schools, good public schools in their neighborhood. High functioning public schools, not well, charter schools that will sort of cherry right, cherry pick right. uh, kids to get the outcomes they want and the stats that they want. Right. What we want are good public schools that serve everybody, not the people who get into charter schools.
3: Well First off, we have lots of schools that operate by lottery. You know, my mm-hmm. kid never won the lottery until this year. Uh, he got into it uh, another school. And uh, what I what I what I would say to that is that um, we need to have lots of choices for public school parents. Charters are public schools, by the way. The only difference is if they don't perform, you can take the charter away and shut them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, public schools in general don't have that level uh, of accountability and and couldn't function that way. Uh, I wanted to just reiterate you know my kids all went to public schools and they're important uh, it, no matter whether we have uh, one extra charter school or one extra magnet school than somebody else 90% of the kids are still going to go to public schools they're still going to have public school teachers that are working tirelessly to try to get our kids I, my kids had great teachers you know one of the problems in public schools is that the teachers can't always um, remove a child from the classroom. There's always three or four kids in the class that seem to cut it up in a a class and make it more difficult for all the other children in the class. And that's something, as a public school parent, I'm very attuned to. Um, But, you know, I I think it's a a little bit of a false argument. We've got a system that isn't working well for all the kids, especially poor kids, and we've got to try new things. And uh, I know that a lot of people want to, you know, try to divide people, uh, but really we're all in this together and if we don't figure out a way to have every kid be able to succeed by getting the education they deserve then what kind of country are we
2: all right talking to bill finch actually let's grab one call and then we'll go to a break or i'm mismanaging the clock no matter what i do here's doug we got doug on the line right now hi doug you're on the air
4: hey nice to talk with you and nice to talk with mayor bill finch hey doug um my name is doug i just moved to bridgeport i'm, I'm moving down from boston i'm originally from fairfield county and i've lived all over country i've lived in i've lived in the chicago loop i've lived in near lived close in in boston i've lived in uh, indianapolis actually for a long time i've seen a lot of great urban development and um mayor i'm supporting you because when i came to bridgeport i saw the pieces finally beginning to fall together in downtown so i just rented an apartment overlooking the green and in, in the m&s building and, wait, wait a minute
2: um, your mother is named doug <laughs> I said I just rented. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, anyway,
4: I just want yeah, my name- yeah, I got that joke. Okay, I got it. <laughs> anyway, no, and and uh, and and it's not named Marge, right? <laughs>
3: um, well, it's nice to I, meet you, Doug. Yeah, yeah good. Okay. I'm glad you picked what us. To,
4: what I wanted to say, what I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, I see that what's happening in the security building, I wanted to ask you to give a kind of vision of what you think downtown is going to look like for residential and possibly retail in the next in the next term and then the other is i look at what's happening at keel point i think it looks a lot like other urban developments like assembly square and somerville or even some of the stuff in portchester and that stuff just goes great guns it's it, 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 it's it's almost bound to work um but you've been getting a lot of criticism over the job that at 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 at, at, a, at the best uh at the back door, and I thought, I thought you'd like to maybe turn it around and talk about the jobs vision for the next four years. So I wanted to ask you about
2: downtown. All right. Jobs. Uh, I just want, I want to speed things along because we're going to run, run out of time. But go ahead, Mayor.
3: Well, look, uh, thank you, Doug. Uh, I look forward to meeting you and, and working with you in the future. You've got a lot of experience in those other cities. I'd like to learn from you. Steel Point, I didn't really finish that response to your question. I'm glad for the call because there is so much more to come after these Trip generators, you know, the Starbucks, Chipotle, T-Mobile, and Bass Pro are trip generators. The other side of the avenue is going to have uh, many other things that are in the offing and in, in the planning stages or that have been financed. There's a movie theater, a hotel, 1,000 units of housing, waterfront restaurants, marinas. So um, it, what you're seeing are the trip generators first. In downtown north, really exciting. Um, we went out to bid, uh, Colin and Doug, uh, for Uh, The entire downtown north. But we split it into uh, five sections and asked developers, you can bid on all or parts. Mm -hmm. And so we picked four developers plus color blends, which imports the tulip and hyacinth bulbs into the United States. It's in Bridgeport. They're going to move their headquarters to Main Street. Um, And we're seeing the security building. The security building is incredible. It has an open atrium that goes about eight stories and all the apartments will look out into onto the atrium. It's a beautiful building that was offices for many generations and had fallen on hard times. It's empty. Thanks to Dan Malloy and this administration, we have a Department of Housing. We have a help, a helping hand from the, the state of Connecticut for the first time. I've built 1,000 units. My administration has built 1,000 units of new housing in eight years. There's 2,000 more that have that approved their finances, financed. 3,000 units of housing in Bridgeport is, is an amazing thing for us. Not only has our grand list grown every year, just a little bit every year, in the right direction, but our population has also grown. And with an enlightened administration that we have in Hartford now, which knows that housing is oftentimes what drives economic development, we've been able to succeed in that area. And all the downtown north will be converted to housing above and some offices on lower floors and then retail on the first floor, much like the ninth square that you talked about here.
2: Right. Um we'll talk some more about that when we get back. We'll take a quick break. This is going fast. Uh we'll come back with Mayor Finch after this.
0: You know I represent Brisbane, I represent the city. That's lay back in the cut. You know I gotta rep with a port. I represent the city, that's lay back in Connecticut. You know I represent Brisbane, I represent the city, that's lay back in the
1: If you ask the mayor if you'd be willing to recycle my mattress for me, I've got it strapped to my car in the parking lot. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan, Jonathan McPants, and me, Kyone Wolf. Our interns are Allison Ehrenreich and Katie McAuliffe. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Father Panic. For show pages, articles, and videos of the Faith Middleton show staff getting kicked out of Brennan's Shabine, visit our website, WNPR.org. On tomorrow's show, an interview with cartoonist Roz Chast. And now... Back to Colin.
2: Yes, tomorrow we'll be right back down here in these New Haven studios again because Roz Chast is coming in. She wants to meet Jonathan McNichol. So um, we're talking to Bill Finch here today. Uh, We're winding down uh, this interview here. Um, So, you know, um, just to sort of round out the conversation we were having before, this is an interesting point that, you know, cities are often, particularly cities in the Northeast, are often judged somewhat by their best attributes and somewhat by their worst attributes. So Bridgeport's got a couple of problems. One of them is the view from the highway is not good, right? The, right. you're driving by a 95, you see the worst of Bridgeport. And, and we, you and I were talking about this before you go on, you, we went on the air. You're also judged by the walkability of the city and the way in which one good thing in the city interconnects with another. And if you get these kind of pockets of resistance – I mean, New Haven has worked really hard on this. And so if I left this studio right now and walked over to the Ninth Square – yeah, somebody might try to sell me some Vicodin, but they do it in a really nice way. I mean, the, the people selling <laughs> you Vicodin have gotten a lot more polite, and and they might not. I might not get even one offer to buy Vicodin because they, they've tried to work that out. So it's a struggle for you, right? I was at the Klein on Wednesday night. I knew that notice there's there's some great bridge board places like two blocks away from the Klein, but I wouldn't really know how to walk
3: there, and right. I'm not sure
2: I'd want to walk there anyway. So that's a problem for you, right? right. You've got you've got things
3: that. You seem like you're in connect. good shape, though. I mean, yeah, no, I could have made the yeah. walk,
2: and, and and probably even, and if somebody would have sold me Vicodin, my knees would have felt well <laughs> enough to run. But anyway, you you see my point. You yes. you've got to struggle getting. There's some eyesores that you've got to deal with.
3: I, I look at this as a long term thing, mm-hmm. and uh, thank God for a four year term because you're able to do some things you really need to do to turn the city around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the view from the highway is something I'd like to talk to you about. And, and again, all the things we're talking about will be creating jobs, and most of the jobs or many of the jobs are going to bridge borders, which is something that I've insisted on. But all of the garbage that you see, those empty and abandoned buildings driving toward Fairfield, all those have been bought. The AFL-CIO pension fund is going to be investing thirty-five million dollars in the buildings to your right, mm-hmm. uh, where label systems and basket casters used to be. That's going to be a school, a grocery store, and three hundred and twenty-five apartments. On the left is the Eco Technology Park. U-Haul has bought the one large building that's left. The biodiesel refinery is there. The mattress recycling facility. The uh, FlexiPave. Uh, where they take the tires and make walking pavement.
2: the tilapia tanks. Yeah, Green
3: <laughs> Green Depot is there selling, you know, like the wall material and ceiling material in here, all made out of recycled materials. So uh, as we bring in the green jobs and we change the city's image, we're also going to change the way it looks from the highway. If you drive into Bridgeport from Fairfield, it's quite a different story. You have a pretty little downtown. You have Steel Point going up. You see the Pleasure Beach now open uh, with the radio towers for – WICC out there, uh, and you see our airport, and then, poof, you're in Stratford, and you're looking at some of their industrial properties. But I think that the image from the the highway is getting much better and will be dramatically different in the next four to ten years because of what's going on. One of the other things we didn't talk about either is the view from the train. We'll be building a second train station in the city of Bridgeport. That'll have historic impacts on the city of Bridgeport. All of the east side Bridgeport development corridor will be made possible. This is the area just north of the steel point bridgeport hospital part of our own yale new haven here in hartford is going to be adding a thousand jobs over Mm -hmm. the next 10 years but they need to have the train station so they can Mm -hmm. do that we'll be building a new high school in that corridor to replace harding so um again you know it's changing quickly Mm -hmm. and i'm glad you point out the image of the city from the highway and the train station but you know it's a long-term process and it's gotten better in the last eight years and with four more years it's going to get better and it'll all be creating jobs
2: i only got four minutes left. Uh, I want to ask a couple of quick questions about a couple of little bumps in your campaign to try to leave some time for you to say something positive and inspiring at the end. So um, first bump of the campaign, it seemed as though there was some attempt being made to muzzle the police, right, to uh, cut back on on availability of crime statistics. It seemed anyway uh, as though this might be an attempt to keep the crime stories out of the news. What's your take on that? What happened there?
3: We had a, a personnel situation, and the person was not getting in the information out for for a, a reason that I really can't go into. But um, we have a new uh, public information officer for public safety. Our police chief meets with the media, and we'd invite you to come down anytime you want. I think it's 1030 every Friday morning. Um, some of the information wasn't getting out. It certainly wasn't purposeful. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have good uh, things to talk about in terms of fighting crime. So, in my opinion, um, I certainly never thought of restricting the information until I read about it in the Connecticut Post, where it was alleged. But we never did it, and um, there there were some uh, there were some problems related to a personnel issue, but not anything at my direction.
2: Second, a quick uh, bump in the campaign. Uh, been a lot of publicity over this over the last week or so. The notion that a 50th anniversary celebration for the civil rights activist Mary McBride Lee was canceled because she's a Ganem supporter. Give us your take on that one.
3: You know, sometimes what you read is so much different than what actually happened. I was at the church, gave her a plaque. No, Mary Mc Lee. She's on the city council. Uh, attended the event. I, you know, I, I honestly don't know how some of these stories get created, um, but uh, you know, uh, I, I was there. I, I certainly applaud all of her efforts at, at fighting against bigotry, and uh, it, she was a great hero for us to have at Selma, and we celebrate her.
2: Um, okay, now we've got time for you to say something inspiring at the end. Although I guess I, all, I want to ask you, what you're in right now is a fight for the Democratic nomination. Let's assume you win the fight for the Democratic nomination. Is it your guess that it's over then, or will there be? Will Mary Jane Foster or Joe Gannon be running against you in a general?
3: Um, they have filed their papers. I, you'd have to ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, I fully intend on winning the Democratic primary, and I fully intend on winning the general election. Mm-hmm. We haven't had this kind of progress in the city of Bridgeport in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud that I played a small part in it and was able to build an administration and build the collective vision uh, through our Be Green 2020 effort, through our economic development vision, through the East Bridgeport Development Corridor with a second train station, expanding mm-hmm. our park system. You know, we did the first par- parks master plan in 100 years. Mm-hmm. Gosh darn it, we're the park city.
2: Mm-hmm. God forbid you, you you should lose the uh, Democratic uh, primary. I, I assume you're in it the whole way, running in the general?
3: Um, you know, I'm going to win the primary. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, my polling is very strong. I'm out uh, talking to people all the time, knocking on doors, calling undecided voters that our, our canvassers have said are undecided. And the mood is very optimistic in Bridgeport, unlike mm-hmm. what you may read or hear. Uh, the, I, I trust the voters, Colin. You know, mm-hmm. the voters are not going to go back to corruption and, and, and theft. They're, they're not going mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so I think we're in good shape.
2: All right, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks to Mayor Bill Finch for making the trip into New Haven. He's got a busy uh, campaign, plus he's got to get ready for date night this week. Um, <laughs> thanks to Jonathan McPants for I'll running the board. I'll take
3: suggestions on Twitter about movies.
2: All right, and uh, thanks to Betsy Kaplan for keeping me on the right track. Thank you, Mayor. The sea,
1: their home of industry, you can bet your bottom penny, but I will never leave Connecticut and my Bridgeport. The sea.
0: Kion, why didn't you go down to New Haven for the show today?
1: Greg, he's a finch. I'm a wolf. I would eat him alive. So are you running for mayor of Bridgeport? No, I'm a wolf. Forget it.